My dog keeps bumping into it, which is part of the problem too here. But well, the big D is back with a UFC two ninety two. Yes, two ninety two, almost near nearing three hundred. Before I bring in my UFC friend, please subscribe, like, and share the Spunky Spectrum Sports YouTube page. See all my content. So check out the Big D podcast for all your audio listeners on Spotify and Apple. So back to discuss UFC 292 Fantasy Lab Action Network. I don't know what else you do. The only guy, the only guy who could discuss Detroit Tigers, Detroit Lions, and UFC with me, Billy Ward. So Billy, uh. UFC 292 in Boston this weekend. Two title fights, one way of a card. I cannot wait. Yeah, I feel like we've had some kind of lame cards the past couple weeks where it was really hard to get excited about it, so it's nice. I feel like we've we've put in the time suffering through the bad ones, and now we actually get a card we can somewhat look forward to. I will say, by pay-per-view standards, a little bit lower on the excitement level for me, but still, relative to what we've had lately, definitely a breath of fresh air. Yeah, hopefully, hopefully we actually see guys fight each other instead of just sit on each other for 15 or 25 minutes. Hey, I got no problem with grappling-heavy matchups. I, that doesn't bother me at all. It just depends on who they are. And, you know, the last card, really outside of the main event, none of the fights really mattered in terms of rankings or standings or stuff like that. Where this one, you know, up and down the card, there's a lot of fights that have some far-reaching applications here outside of just the title fights. Well, you mentioned title fights and two title fights. And how about this main event between uh, Sterling and Sean O'Malley? You've got two contrasting styles. You've got a great wrestler in, in Sterling and a great striker in Sean O'Malley. What do you think is going to happen? Because we've seen the last couple of main events where wrestling has been the key and you know what Sterling and you know what Sterling's going to try and do he's going to try and take down O'Malley and just win this fight on the back yeah I think the odds are about right here which have Sterling at minus 250 or something at open I think it's moved a little bit since then Sean O'Malley kind of was protected pretty heavily on his road to this title fight so you know he got knocked out by Cheeto Vera who brutalized him with leg kicks and then finished him on the ground Fought, like, after that, three just horrible opposition, like no one anyone's ever heard of. Then he has the no contest against Pedro Munoz. Munoz also fighting on this card. O'Malley lost the first round on two or three judges' scorecards before the eye poke made it a no contest in the second. And yet, we've kind of just pretended he won that fight in terms of moving him up the opposition. (laughs) Like, everyone's just like, yeah, no, we'll just pretend it's a win and move him forward. Then he fights... Uh, Poder Jan, which most people thought was one of the worst decisions in a long time, where O'Malley got the split decision, and now he gets the title fight. So it seems like, you know, in my book, he's fought three upper-tier opponents in Cheeto Vera, Munoz, who are fighting each other, and Poder Jan, and I don't think he really cleanly beat any of them. He actually lost one. One was a no contest where he was losing at the time, and the other he officially won, but I don't think he really did. And these are all guys that Sterling would be favored over, or in the case of Jan, beat a couple times. I just don't see how it's any different. The big question is whether Sterling does enough for DFS to pay this off for us, because he doesn't always. You know, his most recent decision win over Poder Jan, only 86 points. Dillashaw, he scored a million points, but that was the Dillashaw injury. And then Cejudo, very solid 120 with all those takedowns. But you can't get that many takedowns if your opponent doesn't get back up or engage with you in the grappling 
the way that Sean O'Malley probably won't be able to. So if we see, you know, three rounds of one takedown, then he finishes him in the third, that might not be enough, at least from a GPP standpoint. From a cash game, I think this one's a little bit likelier to go long than the co-main event, which we'll talk about. So I'm definitely playing both of these guys. O'Malley can get there on volume at his salary, just hitting Sterling a lot before he gets taken down, especially if it goes three, four, five rounds. So like them both for cash games, probably not a ton of interest in O'Malley for GPPs. Sterling's kind of a maybe. I I almost feel like this is a befuddling fight because be honest with you, I don't, Unless O'Malley lands that one punch, and we know he's got that knockout power, I think Sterling's going to dominate him on the ground. Yes, O'Malley. O'Malley's never faced this kind of a wrestler. He's never faced somebody with this kind, this kind of ground game. And we know Sterling's got the submissions. We know he, he's more than okay sitting, sitting and winning, winning. I wouldn't say a boring, an ugly fight or a boring fight, but he, but. He can win all the rounds, get his paycheck, keep the belt, and call it a successful night. Yeah, and honestly, if that happens, he'll probably call it a successful bantamweight career because he's almost certainly going up to featherweight with a win, probably even with a loss unless it's controversial and they want to do an immediate rematch, I would guess. But if you look at O'Malley's record, they've never really given him any grappling heavy opponents so like they've they've done this on purpose and he's competed in some grappling stuff he did like one of the quintets a while back but i don't think he's a bad grappler by any stretch i just don't think he's henry cejudo on the mat which we saw what sterling did in that matchup so yeah i'm with you i don't i don't love this one from a dfs standpoint just because there's a lot of routes to this being fairly one-sided but still not a ton of points for sterling but he's a pretty safe pick i think he's at least as likely as the odds suggest to win. Probably a bit more likely as a bunch of square money comes in on O'Malley throughout the week, too. If you're betting it, by the way, real quick, wait as late as possible. Like, I've seen multiple tweets from different sports books that they're getting so much money on O'Malley. They're going to want to hedge that off a little bit. I'm sure they're happy to take a stand on Sterling. But that line on Sterling will come down. So if you're going to bet, just give it some time. It's, I mean, preferably, I almost think this is a stay away. Maybe you wait until Friday night, Saturday morning, if you see Sermon. I mean, what number do you think he could be? Could he be minus to be back where the line's open, like 250? He's still roughly 250 most places 258 now. on DK. Yeah, 250 bet MGM, 250 Caesar. So you can get 250s now. I probably wouldn't take that straight up. I would do something like, you know, a parlay with over one and a half rounds or two and a half rounds, maybe. I don't think he just comes out and starches him. I think O'Malley is savvy enough to keep the range and make it hard for those takedowns where he's not just going to, he's not going to be Bo Nickel or Hamzat where he just slams him 30 seconds into the fight and taps him out right away. So I think this one's likelier to go a little bit long if you're looking to hedge it off. But yeah, to answer your question more directly, finally, 225 wouldn't surprise me if it gets... If it gets much past that, I'll definitely be hammering the money line. Other than that, I'll just kind of hold my money, wait to see what happens, and then maybe take some other props to try to limit that juice while still keeping a good chance of winning it. I mean, if you're on Mali, it's simple: keep it, keep the fire on your feet, and hope and hope you can uh, control, hope you can win the striking battle. Yeah, and he should he should win the striking battles, but I don't think that he'll 
dominate the striking battles necessarily or like you know just starch him with a big punch sterling is pretty defensively sound has been in there with some tough strikers he'll he'll get out pointed you know while this fight is on the feet i think o'malley will be winning minutes i just don't know that he'll have those giant moments where he drops them or anything like that that's a much bigger ask but if he does win it that's probably how so if you're going to play o'malley o'malley inside the distance o'malley knockout stuff like that is probably the way to go which maybe makes him a little bit more intriguing for DFS if you think he has a shot at doing that. And then if Sterling wins, I mean, you think he's going to 145 if he uh, beats O'Malley because he would have to feed basically everybody at the 135 division. Well, crucially, he will he will have defeated everyone at 135 except for his teammate and best friend, Murab Dvalishvili, who is in line for the next shot at the title. So my prediction here is if he wins, he goes up, we probably do O'Malley versus Cheeto Vera next, not for the title. And then Dvalishvili versus somebody, you know, maybe Pedro Munoz if Munoz wins that one, which is down the card here. That remains to be seen. But almost certainly Dvalishvili should get the next title fight, assuming Sterling goes up. The only, honestly, even with a loss, I could see him going up, unless it's one of those weird losses where a lot of people really want an immediate rematch. Then I could see him staying. But, you know, even if he loses, Sterling goes up. We've got a cool angle of Wallace really trying to uh, revenge his teammate against Sean O'Malley for the next one. So I think either way, it's Marab Wallace really versus somebody is the next bantamweight title fight. It's either going to be Sean O'Malley or maybe Sandhagen or the winner of Vera Munoz, something like that. Hey, hey, if we got if we got Sterling Volkanowski at some point, I'd be down for that fight. Which we should. I'm I'm more interested in that than Volkanovski going back to lightweight to fight Makachev again. Great fight. Loved it. There's an argument that Volkanovski won that fight. But there's so many lightweight contenders that I really want to see get their shot at that division that I'm kind of tired of that one being held up. So Sterling versus Volkanovski at 45 would be awesome. I think that'd be a tremendous fight. My dream scenario here is that's what happens. Also, I could see... Um, if O'Malley and Cheeto Vera both win, I could see that being the next title fight, which would suck for Murab. But just because Cheeto's got the only win over O'Malley so far, if they both win tonight, that kind of makes a lot of sense at 135 too. But that's a big ask for both of them to win. Okay, so uh, from the main to the co-main event, and be honest with you, I'm, I'm not sure exactly what kind of a fight we're gonna get. We're gonna get for the co-main event because. Uh, Willie Zhang, is that how you say your name? Willie Zhang? Yeah. Or Zhang Wiley, depending on Zhang how we're the Asian naming convention. We'll take on Amanda Lemos. And yeah, honest, I'm actually... Oh. Go ahead. No, no, go ahead. No, you... <laughs> All right. Uh, no, I was just going to say, unlike the main event, I think this one is going to be closer than the odds suggest. Easy to say that when the odds are wider, or slightly wider, but... Wiley Zhang is the better all-around fighter. She's more skilled, certainly in the grappling, probably in the striking as well. But Lamosh hits so hard, and in a way that we don't see a lot at 115. And we've seen Zhang knocked out, right? Rose Namajunas knocked her out with a head kick. I think Lamosh probably has more pure power, and she has power in her hands, not just her feet. So she doesn't need to throw those kicks that make the grappling an issue. I think this is going to be a fun one. It's a really tough spot for DFS, and I kind of hate all these cards when there's multiple title fights from a cash game standpoint because it's really 
difficult to fit all four of them in there. It doesn't leave you a lot of optionality. But if Lamos wins this one, it's almost certainly a finish. She only costs 7000 so like even if she scores poorly with a win, you still kind of need that. And then Wiley at 9200 she might not pay that off even with a win. At the same time, she grapples a lot. You know, we saw against Rose, she got five takedowns in her loss against Rose Nama Yunus and put up a good score even in a loss. So it's hard to, it's almost harder to not play both of them here, but I just don't like guaranteeing two losses in my lineup. Then, of course, the other option would be to fade O'Malley and try to find another cheaper fighter you like, but that creates its own issues. So going to be an interesting one from a DFS standpoint. I'm probably going to have a little sprinkle on Lamos by knockout. I think it's plus 700, plus 800. She just starches people. Like, her knockouts aren't the kind of standing knockout where the ref finally jumped in. We see a lot in these lighter divisions. She's like, oh, she touched you and you exploded. They're those kind of knockouts. So I'm excited for this one. Wiley should be winning most of the time, but there's an off chance that Lamos just connects with one of those big punches. She also, I think, has a pretty good length advantage here. Yeah, she got two inches in reach. Anjang, which, you know, catches her at the end of a straight right from range in a bigger cage. Crazier things have happened. So I am all in cautiously on Lamosh. I'm going to play a lot of her in GPPs, a lot of her in Rainmakers because she's cheap. And, you know, some slight bets on her to win by knockout. But she's not the better fighter here. She just has that one trick that could really equalize things in a hurry. Yeah, I'm I'm intrigued by Lemos power wise because I know she's got that striking ability. She could she could come out she could make Shane go asleep, but uh the longer this fight goes, I think I feel like Shane will be better. She's been twenty five minutes before. This is Lemo. I believe this is Lemo's first uh five five round fight. It's it's not her first scheduled five round fight, her last fight okay, against Marina Right. If it goes there, it'll be the first one that actually did. Encouraging sign that she got a knockout in round three of that Marina Rodriguez fight, though. Shows her power carries over for at least three rounds. You know, could she do that in the fifth round? Maybe not. But there's a lot of fighters like that where if they don't get the first round knockout, it's kind of over. And she showed that she can pick up finishes at least 12-ish minutes into the fight, which is an encouraging sign because that's about half of it. So, you know, it, it raises her odds a little bit versus if she was you know, couldn't be further body-wise from this, but if she was a Derek Lewis type or needed it right away, or she's going to hit a wall. And we, we saw what Derek Lewis did in the in the last UFC pay-per-view. He won that fight in what? He won that fight in no time. Yeah, and that was actually a bad example because he knocked out Volkov deep into that fight. But there's a lot of those, you know, light heavyweight and heavyweight fighters that, like, they've got five good minutes in there, but eh, it's going to fall apart after that. Terrence McKinney, another one. He just picked up a win when he did it, but it was first round or he's probably going to lose. Yeah, I'm like, and I saw Terrence McKinney at like 48% in, in catch. I'm like, what? A, I'm like, oh, no. I'm like, this is not, this is either going to go one or two ways. I'm like, everybody wanted to play McKinney. But I'm like, he's the GPP player. And then I saw McKinney with the first round now, kind of I'm like, oh, crap. We're dead. Yeah, that was about how my week went too. <laughs> Yeah, let me tell you. Uh, everybody played McKinney except us two old faults. It was only about half the people. Like, we could have won had we done better in other spots, but there just weren't a lot of other high point totals out there to make up for it. Where some weeks it's like, yeah, everybody played this guy, but four different people all scored over 100. So you, as long as you got one or two of them, you're fine. That was not the case last week. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I guess with a one fifteen with a one fifteen pound division, there's a chance you could see knockouts. You could see more takedowns than at the heavier female divisions. Right, just you know, the lighter we get in weight classes, the easier it is for the fighter to get back up if they have been taken down. And you can't get two takedowns in a round if your fighter, if your opponent doesn't get back up. So, to an extent, that makes it a little bit likelier. I don't know that I'm super confident that Lamos will be able to get back up if she's taken down. But yeah, there's in theory, we got that going for us. Hypothetically speaking, of course. Yeah, and honestly, like. I haven't built a lineup yet, haven't ran projections because with some of these fights getting added to the card late, I haven't had all the odds. Probably leaning towards fading O'Malley. I just got to find someone else at the bottom of that salary range that I like because if not, I'll just play him. But, you know, if you like Chris Weidman, Pedro Munoz, someone in that 71 to 76 range, you can kind of get away with the O'Malley fade. And as much as I'm on Lamos for, you know, Big swing and misses stuff. There's no way I'm playing her and not Zhang in cash. That would be absurd. Yeah, because I feel like if you play Lamos but don't have Zhang in cash, you've, you're playing with one foot in a bucket. And the problem is if so many, everyone's going to be on Zhang, so even if she loses, you're not hurting yourself that much. And it's just such a big risk that if she comes out and gets seven takedowns and a third-round stoppage, then you're just dust before you even get to the main event. Or Amanda Nunez who gets like a million takedowns, puts up 140 points, and right. catches your pay, and then gets a paycheck. Right, any of those, but yeah, you know, it's not a horrible card. We were talking about it a little bit off air. I think Neil Magny is really underrated here, and by extension, in Gary is overrated, just because Gary is used to being the taller fighter against everyone he fights. So far in the UFC, has been taller and/or reach advantage on everyone. Not the case with Neil Magny. Magny is very hard to finish. You don't see him stopped a lot. And Gary's been, it's been scary in some of his fights. Like there's been a couple where it looks like he's going to lose. He pulls a knockout out at the end. This is just a huge step up for him. Magny, the cheapest fighter on the card at 6,600. He can get there even in a loss if he grabs a takedown or two along the way, gets some good striking volume, really anything other than gets finished fast. So that's an intriguing way to build, especially if you want to, Fade O'Malley. Yeah, and I feel like, and I feel like Ian Gary's fought a couple. I would easier fighters, so maybe Ian Gary will welcome the UFC and like a hey kid, hey kid, you might be the future, but uh, you're not winning this fight. Yeah, I will say I I thought Daniel Rodriguez might have been too big of a step up for him, and he passed that with flying colors, winning it in three minutes. So I've been wrong on Ian Gary before, but Neil Magny's a lot better than 36 or almost 37-year-old Daniel Rodriguez. Not that Magny's any younger. But, you know, top 10 welterweight, perennial-ranked fighter, beat Jeff Neal, who was Ian Gary's original opponent. I am very sad that Neil Magny didn't get a full training camp for this one. That would make me a lot happier. But I'm still riding that. I think it's probably... I think Gary probably wins, but it's closer than we expect. And as we were talking about off-air, Gary is not a guy who gets takedowns. So if he doesn't get a finish, and probably a quick finish, it's going to be hard for him to pay off his salary. So from a DFS standpoint, almost no interest in Ian Gary. More interest in Magny for cash, just because, you know, close fight, but reasonable score than I am in GPP. But I kind of like him all around. 
Yeah, and plus you could do the inverse because any new Magni win will pro- would probably make would probably mean not only are you looking good, but you fade all that all that Gary ownership. Yeah, and obviously, I mean, when the lowest guy or the cheapest guy on the slate wins a fight, he's almost guaranteed to be in the optimal lineup. And you know, we've talked about the takedown factor, averaging a little over two per fifteen minutes in the UFC career. That's a pretty good thing. So talk about the other fights on this card because I mean they were some intriguing fights. I seemingly there were fights being added every five seconds because I I thought because I looked early in the week and there were ten fights. I'm like, there's gotta be more than ten fights. Well now they're twelve. Well, one of those was because they they knew the fight who it was, but they didn't want to reveal it until the final episode of the Ultimate Fighter aired because it was the championship for that. So when that aired on Tuesday, that was one of them. And then the other one was Mario Bautista, whose original opponent was Cody Garbrandt. Garbrandt got hurt, and they're bringing in Damon Blackshear, who just hit that twister last week, just to fight again next week. He's already, you know, I guess they flew him from Vegas to Boston with the rest of the production staff. That's fun. I think Bautista works him pretty easily here. But a fun story nonetheless. You know, you always like to see guys getting those opportunities. Bautista is a little bit cheap relative to his odds because of that switch but he's still 9100 so it's not like he's lock of the week or anything i'm very intrigued by pedro muñoz versus cheeto vera i just finished a breakdown on that over at the action network that people can check out should be out now this one's very likely to go to decision and you know how we feel if we think it's going to go to a decision we want the plus money fighter for betting it or the cheaper fighter for dfs just because all it takes is some screwy judging and we get a win that we didn't really deserve at low price. But Cheeto's had so many five-round fights in a row, and he always loses the first round. He's lost the first round in six of his last seven. The only exception was when he finished Sean O'Malley in the first, which is okay in a five-round fight. You can start slow. you got four rounds to make it up. Scary game in a three-round fight because you go, you're down one nothing. All it takes is one or two judges giving one of the other rounds to your opponent, and you lose that. Munoz, I think, is also a tough matchup for him. Throws a lot of leg kicks, defends leg kicks well. Good power. Munoz has a grappling advantage. He almost never uses it. So, you know, do with that information what you will because it's hard to bet on what guys should do. So that's a fun one. I think you're going to want to have one of those guys in most of your lineups just, just because of the pricing, not because I think it produces a ton of points. But both guys are kind of cheap enough that whoever wins it should be in a fairly good spot. I hate these ultimate finale fights. Just kind of weird. We don't know a ton about the guys. We've seen them fight in a weird environment where they fight once every two weeks and aren't with their regular teams and have to cut weight a bunch. I don't think that tells us a lot about how they're going to perform in the actual UFC. So we're going to have to we're going to have to pick some of those guys if we're playing more than one lineup. But not a fun decision to have to make. Anything else jumping out at you, uh, Dylan, that you want to talk about while we're here? Uh, yeah, just looking at some of these numbers right now. How about, uh, let me see, Andre Petrovsky? I was just going to say that one. Yeah, I'm playing, I'm playing Petrovsky and everything. 8,800 is way too cheap. I'm very low on Gerald Mearshart. He's won a couple fights in recent memory where it doesn't really make sense that he won those, but he kind of figured it out anyway. But yeah, got out grappled. He got knocked out by Joe Pfeiffer most recently. Then he did a grappling match against Joe Pfeiffer and got beat there. Petrosky is a 
leagues better grappler than either of those guys. Think it's a quick submission. It's always a little scary to go for the high priced guys that need a submission just because the ceiling's a little bit lower on a sub rather than a knockout. But if he gets it in the first round at 8,800, we're happy, right? No matter how many other points he gets. Very heavy on Petrosky. Definitely locking my cash games. Honestly, outside of the title fighters, maybe the ones I feel the best about. G-Rod is a fun one. He's just chinny enough, and he tends to get knocked out every once in a while to make him a little bit scary at 9,500. And yeah, the top of the salary is a little bit scary. Oh, the other one, we've got the return of Chris Weidman. Didn't even mention it. Woohoo! Yeah, former UFC middleweight champ, and I'm like, and I'm like, Chris Weidman, so nearing uh, forty. I'm like, he's thirty. I think he's thirty-eight or thirty-nine. And more importantly, it's been what three years since he broke his leg and did anything. Okay, yeah, he's thirty-nine. His last fight was in 2021, so about two and a half years. He's so much better than Brad Tavares at his best. You know, Brad's 35. Brad's on a two-fight losing streak. Although he fought DDP and Bruno Silva, neither of which I'm, you know, neither of those are embarrassing losses, to say the least. But, yeah, if if we thought Weidman was fully healthy and anywhere near what he once was, he murders him. I don't think we can say that. This one for cash games where, like, there's just too many variables. I'm staying away from it. For GPP, maybe McDonald Tavares, but. I think it's a fun GPP fight. Mm -hmm. Because even like, which guy. or just play a little bit of both and hope for the best. I think for both of them, because we know Weidman's wrestling capabilities is, and capability can be if he's healthy, but then if he's not healthy, but then if he's uh, not him, but then if Weidman's not himself, I think Tavares can win. I mean, it's Sylvan. DVP, but then again, he's not really a not he's not really a knockout fighter. Has and, and not really been a big scoring fighter mm-hmm. either. I think the the case for Tavares isn't so much that like Weidman comes in and rebreaks his leg. Like that's probably not going to happen. He did a grappling tournament prior to this. Like physically is there. The case is that he's just he hasn't been in competition for almost three years at thirty nine. He's slow. He gets caught. He just gets kind of beat up, and then either through volume or through a knockout, I can see Tavares putting up a good score there. But, yeah, it's tough at his price point with the fighters around him. You know, he's a little bit more expensive than both Sterling and Petrosky. If I'm stuck choosing between those three, Tavares is third on my list. So maybe try to mix them in in some GPPs, but not a fight I'm going to be loaded up on. Yeah, it might be the, might be the contrarian fight. I think Weidman, I don't know if Weidman will be contrarian or not. It's hard to say. Because on the one hand, just the name value, I think if you're a casual player who only plays on pay-per-view nights or whatever, you're like, yeah, Chris Weidman, he was a champion. Why is he so cheap? Click. But anyone who's been following it's like, Chris Weidman, didn't he shatter his leg and then disappear for three years? No way I'm clicking him. So I can see it both ways, especially on a pay-per-view card where I think we bring out a little bit more of the casual audience than we do a lot of weeks. Yeah, so... I mean, be honest with you. I mean, both of us have been struggling the past couple of weeks because I'm looking at the calls and I'm like, "What's going?" I'm like, "What's going on?" I'm dangerously close to just giving up on the cash game life and just going GPPs and bets. Like I've done so well with the betting, I've turned a profit in like eight of the last nine events just on betting. I'm like, if I took all the money I was putting in cash games and just increased my bet size, 
I'd be doing a lot better right now. But I do love playing the cash games. I think it'll turn around. We'll see. Yeah, and I, yeah, and I'm like, oh yeah, I'm like, one of these weeks we're going to put up like, I remember one of those UFC call. I think it was a pay per view. One of those calls we put up like five, five hundred points and didn't catch. I'm like, what is this? I had one recently where I like finished first in a bunch of G- or double ups. I'm like, could I save some of those points for a different week? But you know, those those are going to happen. Yeah, it's like sometimes. Sometimes your strategy might be fine, but some things happen. Like who knew? Uh, who knew somebody with a low gas tank would win in the first round, and everybody went on him. And part of it is just like the nature of my job, where I'm doing so much more betting content. I'm thinking of things from that standpoint, which doesn't necessarily it translates to a degree, but it's not the exact same thing. Like guys you want to bet on, and guys you want in a cash game lineup. Are not always the same people, so that's part of the issue as well. But uh, before we end, uh, I do have one more question for you. I mean, we know the UFC goes around the world. I mean, there were cards in there were cards in Australia. I think uh, Korean Zombie and uh, who's it? Max Holloway are going to be in Singapore next week. Yeah, they're doing Mexico pretty soon. Um, Abu Dhabi, Abu Dhabi for I always do Abu Dhabi, yeah. But but uh, what what place would you want to see the UFC visit? Would would I want to see them visit, or would I want to go if they did visit? Uh, well, actually, I'll <laughs> both. Make it, I'll make it a two part question. Then. Sure. What sit? What? place would you want the UFC to visit and what place would you want to visit to and watch the fun? I'll start with the second one. That's easy. It's Brazil. If you've ever seen the, the audiences in the Brazil fights, like it'd be tough. I'd have a hard time making it out of there alive if like an American upset a Brazilian in the main event. You know, if I went down and Curtis Blades knocks out Jailton Almeida, it'd be it'd be a scary night making it back to the hotel or whatever. But that would be number one just for the energy there. I'm a jujitsu guy. You know, I got the jujitsu poster, my jujitsu belts back there behind me. Would love to just go be in that environment. In terms of where they visit, I'm trying to think of somewhere that they haven't that I feel like they should. That's a tougher question because they go everywhere now. You know what? Actually, I do have one. Go back to the Saitama Super Arena. It's got to be on New Year's Eve. Go old school Pride, Pride New Year's Eve Classic. Do that in Japan. If we're if we're dreaming here, because this is a hypothetical, put it in a ring instead of a cage. Who cares? Head kicks, stomps, all that stuff. Just do that again. That would be my dream hypothetical. Obviously, I know I can't have all of those things at once, but as many of those things as this hypothetical question allows me to have, I will take. Uh, you must. You and I must be thinking the same way because I'm thinking. I'm thinking sort of in the same area. But instead of Japan, why not Korea? I think they have done something in Korea. I could be wrong. I mean, but not. Re- but uh, I think not Korea. Really. I think Korea will be a lot of fun. I mean, would be a lot of fun. You imagine Korean Zapping fighting there? I'm not sure if Korean Zapping is necessarily in the title hunt anymore, but that would be a lot of fun seeing him fight there. Yeah, and I think that's why they do Singapore because they can get the Korean fans there, but also. A little bit easier for people to not go to a peninsula. You know, like it's hard to get to Korea from anywhere else where the Koreans can 
hop, skip, and a jump to Singapore, which is a little bit closer to mainland China and other places. Although I could be way up. Geography is my weak point, so don't maybe maybe edit this one out. <laughs> no, I'm I'm kidding. You don't have to edit it out, but like if anyone's you know gonna tweet pictures and maps at me, I don't want to hear it. And then uh and then what about Poland? That would be fun, but I kind of just let KSW do do their thing, man. KSW is great over there. We don't need to go meddle with that. Like the KSW crowd is insane. The events are awesome. It's the closest thing to old school pride. I feel like that's happening right now in terms of the energy. Obviously, one FC has similar rule sets, but yeah, no, don't screw anything up in Poland. Let them have most of their fighters. Give Gamrat a title shot in the UFC, but it doesn't have to be over there, or Yeri or whoever. But. I get the argument. I just think KSW has such a good thing going that I don't want anyone to screw with it. And if it's not broke, don't fix it, right? That's yeah. We don't need KSW is awesome. We love the guys they send us. You know, Gamrat, Prohashka, a few other ones. They all are just like wild men who come out to kill or be killed and film videos of them doing samurai stuff in the forest. Like, never change. Oh. All right, Billy, thanks for hopping on. Hopefully uh, this is a winning week of Rainmakers, Cads, GPPs. You bring home the bacon, right? Yeah, you know, I'm not going to get greedy and hope I win all of them, but if I can just get get a couple of those things and win some bets, you know, that that's enough for me.